All right, so Psalms 111 through 113 this morning, and, and all of these three psalms have something in common with how they start. Each of these psalms start with the phrase, praise the Lord. So you can look at there, you can see, okay, verse 1 of Psalm 111 says, praise the Lord. Verse 1 of Psalm 112, praise the Lord. Uh, psalm 113, uh, praise the Lord. And so uh, as I was, you know, I, I usually, when I put together my studies, I leave an open spot in my notes for the intro, and then I kind of work through the chapters and see what the Lord is saying to me, and I study those things, and, and then I wonder kind of sometimes, like, if I don't have a, like, a strong theme, it's like, well, what's, what's, what's the title going to be? What's the intro going to be? And then I looked at these three again, I said, well, there it is. <laughs> First verse, praise the Lord. Now, as we look at that, we can say, it's very easy for us to say praise the Lord. In fact, Christians have shortened it. I remember when I was a, a young Christian in the late 90s, people would say PTL. Because uh, apparently it took too long to say praise the Lord. <laughs> so we need to shorten that into an acronym. But it's interesting, this word praise in the Hebrew is actually the word hallelujah. Now, I didn't grow up in church, and so when I think of the word hallelujah, I think of Christmas carols. You know, I think that kind of thing. But what, really what hallelujah is, it's actually a command. It's a command to praise the Lord. Now, here's the thing about commands. Commands are actually choices. So we may not think about that way. We say, well, somebody commands me to do something. That means I have to do it. No, no, it means that they are telling you to do it. You still have a choice, right? So a command, because we think about the Ten Commandments, they are commandments. That doesn't mean people automatically obey them, right? They have a choice to obey them or not obey them. See, like gravity is not a command, Gravity just does its thing. And so if, if we walk somewhere and we trip, we don't have to say, I wonder if I'll obey gravity today. It just takes us down. And, and so we, what we want to remind ourselves very early as Christians is that praise is a choice. Though it's a command, it's also a choice. We are commanded to praise the Lord, but we actually have to make that choice to obey or disobey that command. And so my hope as we move through this passage today, and it's really my hope as every study we, do to, we, we go through, is that we're training ourselves to praise the Lord. We don't praise the Lord automatically. We have to train ourselves. And one of the ways we can train ourselves to praise the Lord is by studying his word. And so that's my hope today, that, that we would um, obey this command, that we'd make a choice and say, I want to praise the Lord, and the way that I'm going to do this is to train my heart to see God as he actually is, to trust him, to walk in his ways, and therefore I will obey this command to praise the Lord. Okay, that's our intro. Let's jump into Psalm 111 right now, and we'll look at verse 1. See, praise the Lord. I will praise the Lord with my whole heart in the assembly of the upright and in the congregation. Okay, so first thing I want you to notice is that he's making a choice, right? He says, I will. That's a choice phrase. I will means I am choosing to do something. I am I'm making that choice. Well, what is he trying to do? What is he making a choice to do? To praise the Lord, okay? Praising God is, is giving him glory or honor that he's due. Um, whenever you go to a restaurant, and it's just fantastic, you praise that, right? When you have a wonderful meal, you say, this was so good. And if you're kind, you'll say, hey, would you like to try a bite of it? Or you might be like, this is so good, I can't share. <laughs> I'm not gonna allow anyone to have that. And then you would, say, you would tell people about it and you would say, hey, whoever the chef is over at that place, he is really good because that's an automatic thing for us, okay? So this choosing to praise the Lord Okay, with his whole heart, right? So, so he wants to uh, praise the Lord with all that he is. But notice where he wants to praise the Lord. In the assembly of the upright and in the congregation. Okay, so this is what I want you to focus on. The psalmist is committing to praising the Lord publicly. This is really important. Okay, along the way, um, because of how Satan works, don't forget what, what, what uh, John says in 1 John, that the whole world lies under the sway of the evil one. Okay, the whole world lies under the sway of the evil one. So there's been a progressive push, and it's, it's been for centuries now. Hey, you can believe what you want to believe. Just believe it privately. Just don't talk about it. Just keep it at home. It's fine if, I, it's fine if you want to worship God in, the, in the kind of your own home. Just don't bring that out to the public sphere. But that's not what the psalmist is saying here. He's saying, I'm going to praise the Lord publicly. I'm going to have a public faith, not a private faith. And that's really important. Um, and I love what uh, in the writer to the Hebrews says about this in Hebrews 13, 15. I'll read it for you. 
It says, therefore, by him, and he's speaking by, about Jesus. He says, therefore, by Jesus, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. I love how the, song, I'm sorry, the, the author of Hebrews says it's the sacrifice of praise. In other words, praise is going to cost you something. If you're going to praise God, well, then you're not spending that time praising something else. Or when you're going to praise God when things are difficult, it's going gonna, it's gonna to kind of create some churning inside. So there's, it's a sacrifice element. So praising is not necessarily going to be easy, but what is it? It's the fruit of our lips giving thanks to his name. So, so we're to offer the sacrifice of praise publicly. So remember, please remember this. It's, it's not only about us. Genuine public praise encourages other believers genuine public praise encourages other believers. And we could all use more encouragement in this life. This life is very discouraging. And, and, and it's that by design. Satan wants to discourage us. The demonic forces want to discourage us. Those who are aligned with Satan, whether they believe in him or not, are programmed to discourage. And so what we want to do is we want to encourage other believers. So when I come here on a Sunday morning and I hear you guys singing, and I get to participate that, and I get to stand in the back and sing with you guys, it, it encourages me. It is a, it's a great encouragement to hear your voices. Another thing that's kind of a sacrifice of praise, not necessarily singing, but whenever I go to a coffee shop and I see people sitting there having a Bible study together, and they have their Bibles open, they're talking about the Lord, that's a way of praising God. Publicly studying his word, uh, is, and that brings encouragement to my life. When you come on a Sunday morning and you choose, you know, to, to sit an hour and a half, two hours, as I teach, I'm just kidding. It's not going to be that way. When you come to hear the word of God and study the word of God, learn the word of God, you coming here with an open heart is an encouragement to me and encourages me to keep doing this and to keep coming week after week. So, so when we praise the Lord publicly, when we make that choice to obey that command, we're encouraging one another. All right, let's look at verses two through six now. It says, the works of the Lord are great, studied by all who have pleasure in them. His work is honorable and glorious, and his righteousness endures forever. He has made his wonderful works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and full of compassion. He has given food to those who fear him. He will ever be mindful of his covenant. He has declared to his people the power of his works and giving them the heritage of the nations. Okay, so the big idea from verses two through six are God's works are always good, okay? God's works are always good. And it's gonna turn out for the good. He's promised it, Romans eight twenty eight. he's working all things together for the good. I've been talking to several people about this this week and kind of something the Lord's been working on me is like I'm completely agreed with the Lord on the end goal, Right, I'm all in, millennial kingdom, new heaven and new earth, all things working together for the good. Where I have conflict with God is I'm not always so sure about his intermediate steps. <laughs> right? It's all the steps in between that desired end. But what I have to remind myself of, and what I think you should remind yourself of as well, is that God is good even in those intermediate steps. Even in those steps that seem hard or seem bad or seem terrible, we can't make sense of it, that he's doing something in all that. That's part of his plan, it's part of his purpose. I've mentioned several times that, you know, I, I love the Lord of the Rings. Okay, I love reading the books. And, and imagine if you were to go back in time and there's J.R.R. Tolkien and he's writing the Lord of the Rings and, and you see what he's doing and you're like, I don't know about this whole Mordor thing. And you kind of like push him out of his desk chair and you're like, give me that pen for a while. Let me write some notes. We all realize and we laugh about that is like, well, that's pretty ridiculous. But that's what you and I so often do. As the Lord is writing our story, then what happens is we kind of like, Lord, just, just give me the pen for a while. Let me kind of write this story. I don't like how things are going. But he knows what he's doing. His plans are good. Now, this brings us to kind of like trying to understand him and understand his ways as much as we can there in verse 2. Notice, the works of the Lord are great, studied by all who have pleasure in them. This is very important. That word studied means to seek or inquire of or examine to seek, inquire of, or examine. In other words, those who want to know the Lord will study his word. They'll go after it, okay? And so, but notice it says, are studied by all those who have pleasure in them. In other words, do we have delight? That, that pleasure means to take delight in. If we delight in God's ways and God's works, we'll study those ways and works. And so, but, but it's, again, it's an acquired taste. It's like, like, you know, drinking coffee. 
You know, and I'm just talking about plain black coffee, and I know I'm an anathema here uh, because I, I like that. But I like plain black coffee because I've acquired a taste for it over time. And so it is. God's words and works, we have to acquire a taste for it. And so here's the big idea I, I want to bring out of verse 2 here, that if we take delight in God's ways and works, we'll study them. And here's what's going to happen. Here's the, here's the good news. It will lead to a more intimate relationship with the Lord. If we begin to take delight in his ways and works, and then we say, I want to study about that, I want to know about that, then what's going to happen, it's going to draw us to the Lord. We're going to have an intimate relationship with him. Jesus said this, you know, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And we, we kind of think about that as heavenly rewards, and that is the context, but, but here's the principle. <clears throat> Excuse me. Whatever you spend time studying, thinking about, working on, your heart's drawn, drawn toward it. Because as you spend your time, talent, and treasure on things, so, so if, if I, let's say, I don't play golf, but let's say I did, okay? And I start spending money on golf, and I get golf lessons, and, you know, I got golf green, you know, and I, I, I go out to the links, and I do all these things. I play all this golf. What's going to happen is I'm going to start to treasure golf more and more, and my heart is going to be drawn toward it. Same thing with the Lord. The more time that we spend with the Lord in his ways and works, the more our heart's going to be drawn to him. Kind of this, I was thinking about it. It's like reading a biography. If you want to know about a historical figure, then read a biography about them. And what happens is you read about historical figures, you know, and like, you know, I've read books about D.L. Moody, or I've, you know, read about Elizabeth Elliot, or I've read about these different people. So what happens is I get to know them, I invest time in them, I'm interested in them, I care about them. Well, you know what? The Bible, to a great extent, is God's biography. It's God revealing himself to us. So we say, I really want to know God, and I kind of want to be drawn to him, and I want to have a heart after him. Um, then, then read his word. Read his self-revelation. And what you'll find is you'll you begin to kind of wrestle with ideas. You'll begin to know him, and your heart will be drawn toward him. All right, let's jump into verses 7 through 9 there. Look at this. It says, the works of his hands are verity and justice. And I, I wish the New King James had chosen not to use the word verity, because <laughs> I was like, I had to look it up. Uh, the word verity means truth, okay? Like something is verified or verifiable. So the, the works of his hands are truth and justice, or verity and justice. All his precepts are sure. They stand fast forever and ever and are done in truth and uprightness. He has sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name, okay? And before we get into verses 7 through 9, I want to kind of explain kind of what I'm doing in the Psalms as we're kind of nearing the end of the Psalms. So I'm, I'm kind of taking a section and uh, an overall theme and then just bringing out a couple of ideas from it. Because we've spent so long in the Psalms, we've covered a lot of these things. And, and so if you're like, well, Steve, you're just going too fast through it. Well, let me introduce you to my website <laughs> or the church website. You can have all the Psalms you want. You can have Psalms for days or weeks, or, or months. Uh, there's a lot on there if you want more, but at this point of where we're studying the Psalms, I'm just kind of trying to bring out a, different, a few different ideas and then kind of move on. And so verses 7 through 9, what we have here, the main idea is that God's words and works that we've talk, been talking about are true. God's words and works are true. And that got me thinking, because we live in a day and age where a lot of people talk about authenticity, you know, I just, I just want something that's authentic, and I just want to be genuine, and I want to be this, and I want to be that. But you know what? I, for most people that I've interacted with or people I've seen on the internet, this kind of stuff, they don't really want authenticity. They don't want genuineness. What they want is just what they want. That's all they, so, so by authenticity, what they mean is I just want to do what I want to do. So what I can do is I can be very rude. Let's say I go to a restaurant and I just choose to be really rude to the people working at the restaurant, and I would just say, I could just say, well, I'm just being authentic. No, you're just being a jerk, right? So authentic, what is true, is actually what lines up with reality, what actually is, not just what we want. So what we want to remind ourselves is that God is the only truly true being. God is the only truly true being. You and I are true sometimes, but we're false sometimes. You and I, you know, tell the truth or we lie. We're, we're not truly true. God is the only truly true being. But here's the deal. Since he's the only truly true being, he's like the North Star. If we align ourselves with him, the more we align ourselves with him, we're actually getting aligned with reality, with the really real. 
So if you actually want the really real, you want the, the really real thing, then organize yourself with the truly true. Now it's starting to sound like a kid's show. Uh, the truly true, the really real. My apologies. But the, the fact of the matter is, if we want that which is true, that which is genuine, that which is actually you know, s- solid, foundational, we have to align ourselves with God. We, we can't align ourselves with anyone else. He has to be the one. John 14, 6, Jesus said this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And, and so it's, it's vital that we actually ask ourselves this question, do I want the truth? And if you're of a certain age, you know you can't handle the truth. It's a few good men. Yeah, sorry about that. Okay. So... We really have to ask ourselves, do I want to walk in the truth? Because here's the deal, and here's what you're going to find out, and many of you already know this. If you say, Lord, I really want to walk in the truth, I want what is actually true, it's going to be hard. The truth is hard. God will reveal to yourself that you're not nearly as good as you thought you were, that you need Jesus' forgiveness every moment of every day. But, but you know what, the truth is good because once we live in reality, once we live in truth, then what's gonna happen is we see things as they actually are, we get to know God better, we can have true relationships with others, we can actually help them. And so, so this is what God wants from us. So we gotta align ourselves with him because he's the only true one. Verse 10 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all those who do his commandments, his praise endures forever. So here in verse 10, we have three incredibly important concepts that I want to bring out. Number one, you've seen it before, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. This is really the wisdom of the modern, sorry, this is the motto of the Bible's wisdom literature. Okay, so books like Job and Psalms and Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, those are what are called wisdom literature. Okay, they they give us wisdom about kind of how to live life. And so, this is, the, this is the fact of the matter, that until a person fears the Lord, they can't truly be wise. They may be knowledgeable, they may be useful, they may be able to do a whole lot of things, but they don't have true wisdom unless they fear the Lord. Now, the fear of the Lord is a, is a debated topic, and we don't have time to really get into this, and oftentimes I hear Christians saying, well, it's reverential awe, I'm sorry, reverential awe, it's obedient respect, and it is those things But it's not only those things. The fear of the Lord is also take yourself into your mind's eye and stand at the edge of the Grand Canyon. And you realize, if a strong wind blows me over the edge, I will die. That's also the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is, the Lord is greater than the Grand Canyon. He's scarier than the Grand Canyon. So it's not only a flippant thing for Christians. Oh yeah, fear of the Lord. Yeah, it's a reverential awe. It's this kind of stuff. It is that, but it's also this God can take me out at any moment if he wants to. That's part of it. Jesus, in fact, put it this way in Matthew chapter 10, verse 28. Jesus said, and do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. So, so Jesus tells us straight up, don't fear, don't fear those people. He says this, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. <laughs> That's Jesus talking. Okay, now for us as believers, we understand that we don't have to fear hell, right? Jesus died for all of our sins upon the cross, our past sins, our present sins, our future sins. He died for them all. Okay, but the fear of the Lord means that, that, you know what, if I just as a believer just live in disobedience, then God may bring some really hard things into my life to set things straight. God may take my testimony and throw it away because of my disobedience. Those are things that can happen. So, so, so it's reverential all absolutely, but it's realizing this is the creator of the universe and I need to submit to him because he is that. So, so the key here that I, I wanna bring out Is it the fear of God, so I'm sorry, fear God above all else. Just fear God. Here's here's how we can all be set on this because we can argue all day long about, oh, fear and exactly what does it mean. Here's just this. Fear God, put God above all else and you'll be wise. Fear God above everything. Fear God about your own health diagnosis. Fear God above your future. Fear God above all those things and you'll be wise. But if you fail to fear him, you'll be a fool. 
Okay, and so that's where the world is going. There's a lot of self-professing wise people in this world that don't fear God, but they're fools, and the day of their fear is going to come. So, so it's this idea, fear God as your king now, or fear God as your judge later. Now, so, so, th- so we as believers, we fear God as our king. He's our king, we submit to him rightly. But for every person who chooses not to fear God, not to sur- surrender to him, they're gonna fear him as their judge later. All right, let's look at the second concept here from verse 10. Notice, a good understanding have all those who do his commandments. Here's the big idea. The wisest thing that we can do is obey God's commandments. The wisest thing that we can do. It, the, the wisest thing that we can do is not, well, I'm, gonna, I'm eliminating all seed oil from my diet. Great, do that if you want. That's not the wisest thing you can do. Well, the wisest thing I can do is I make sure I get this amount of exercise. Or the wisest thing I can do is I can do this brain activity. Or the wisest thing I can do is, is set up my 401 or 501 or whatever, all my retirement, all those things. Those are the wisest things. No, the wisest thing we can do is obey God's commandments, whatever that may cost us. Because what happens if we don't put obeying God's commandments first, then inevitably, whenever God's commandments come into conflict with one of our values, we'll choose our value. So it has to be that God's commandments come first. So that's, that's the only way that we can live a wise life. And, and really, if we're given the, the choice, would we rather live a life of wisdom or a life as fools? <laughs> and and if, you've, if you've kept up with what's going on in our society, you realize it's a society of fools. I watched a video just this, you know, a couple days ago that a woman was on there and she was serious and she said two plus two equals four is racist. Saying that she was serious, two plus two equals four is racist because two plus two may equal five for that person. It's foolish, but that's no more foolish than saying that men can have babies or any of these things. It's, it's all foolishness, okay? Now, the, the, the Bible's already warned us that this is how things go. Would you turn to Romans chapter one for just a moment? Romans chapter one. What I'm doing here is, is I'm, I wanna show you, I wanna show me that it's choosing to disobey God's commandments, choosing not to fear God. It's not a neutral choice. It take, it, consequences automatically come with it. If a person refuses to fear God, refuses to obey his commandments, there is no other way for them to go than to become a fool. That, that's the only choice. So here we have it in Romans chapter one, starting in verse 16, Paul writes, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it, that's the gospel, is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. So Paul's not ashamed to share the gospel. Paul's not ashamed for being beaten for the gospel. Paul's not ashamed for being imprisoned for the gospel. Why? Because he knows that the gospel is the power of God for salvation. That if a person believes the gospel, they are born again by the spirit, they move from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light and they'll be saved. So he says, I'm gonna do that. So for you and I, you know, whenever we begin to be ashamed of the gospel, we're forgetting its power. We're forgetting what it really is. And so then he goes on, he says, for in it, the, the, the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. And then he moves on to what happens when people reject God. He says, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Notice, who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. In other words, the person who refuses to fear God, to obey his commandments, they're pushing the truth down. They're suppressing it. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Okay, so we don't have time to do this. I've taught through Romans. You can, li- you can look it up online and, and listen to it if you like. Paul's basically saying every person knows through creation that there's a creator. That's what he's saying. He doesn't, doesn't go into f- any fancy arguments. He's just saying, you know. <laughs> you know that there's a creator through this creation. And he says, without excuse, verse 21, because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God. Didn't praise him, didn't fear him. Notice, and this is a radical one, nor were they thankful. So that's where it really begins. I'm not gonna be thankful toward God. I don't believe he made me. I don't believe I owe him anything. And then it's an inevitable slide downward. 
He said, but became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. So in other words, they became idolaters. Man has to worship. If he doesn't worship God, he's gonna worship something. If you don't think man is a worshiper, then go to the grocery store and see all the magazines and all the tabloid things and see about how people just need to know what's going on in these quote-unquote celebrities' lives. That's just one little example of worship, of idolatry. And so notice what happens when people go down this track, then at some point God gives them over to those things and they become more and more foolish. Therefore God gave them up to uncleanness, to the lust of their flesh, to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever, amen. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions, for even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another, men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error which was due. For even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. And so what happens is, is just this, this degradation, this slide, and often it, it kind of, I would say, culminates is the, is the wrong word, but it ends up just going towards sexual morality. That's where it happens. Any culture that rejects God and gives itself over to idolatry ends up becoming a sexually immoral culture. It always happens. And then it says this whole list of bad news in verses 29 through 32, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who, knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. And if that's not the prevailing attitude of our culture, I don't know what is. And so it all comes, though, it all comes from a rejection of God. I'm not going to fear God. I'm not going to obey his commandments. And so, so this is really just, it's just a warning. Romans 1 shows us what a rejection of God's wisdom leads to. Because, you know, people who, who've listened to me over 20 years teach the Bible, they're absolutely free to leave and say, I don't care what Steve says. I don't want to listen to him. It doesn't matter to me. And that's fine. You don't have to, it doesn't matter what I say. It matters what God says. So whenever I teach what God says, a failure to obey that is inevitably going to lead to horrible consequences. So that's what we have here. So the best thing we can do for this culture I believe is, is not like we're going to get lost, change, or we're going to do the best thing I believe we can do for this culture is choose to obey God ourselves. Choose yourself this day whom you'll serve. I'm going to fear God. I'm going to obey his commandments. I'm going to seek to influence those in my sphere that God has given me, you know, uh, influence over or, or he's allowed me to speak into their lives. And that's what I'm going to do. Because you and I on our own, we can't change the world, but we might be able to change the life of some person. We may be able to, to minister to them, and so it's really important that we do that. All right, let's go back to Psalm 111 now. We see the third thing from verse 10 here. It says, his praise endures forever. I love that. His praise endures forever. In other words, the praise of God will last forever. So, follow me here. Why not live a life that praises the Lord? Because you're going to be partaking in something that is an eternal sort of life. If God will be praised forever, if we're going to in some way, in some sort, praise God forever, and, and by the way, we can talk about it after service if you're interested, I don't think that heaven and the new heaven, new earth is just one endless worship set. I, I don't think that that's how it goes, but we can, we can debate that later. I do believe, though, in some way, everything we do in the new heaven, new earth will be praising the Lord. It'll be giving honor to him. It'll be blessing him. So if that's what we're built for, if that's the life that we're going toward, why not start that now? Why not start living that eternal life now, that eternal sort of life now? You see, if I make my life about temporary things, I have no stability. If I make my life, and, and uh, you, know, <laughs> you know, I see sometimes, and, and I'm, gonna, I'm gonna pick on guys my age, okay? I see some guys my age, and I'm, I'm 48, who seem like they've never progressed past high school 
and they're like, they got to be buff. You know, I see these guys, and they're walking around, and, you know, and they got to be super buff. And if any of you here are super buff, I'm not picking on you. I'm picking on other people, okay? <laughs> but you know what? At some point, you're not going to be able to be super buff anymore. If you've looked at Arnold lately, it's not great, <laughs> okay? That, that's just how it works. So if I make my life about that thing, I don't have any stability But if I make my life about eternal things, if I make my life about praising the Lord, all of a sudden I have peace and security because no matter what state I'm in, I can praise the Lord. That's an exciting thing to think about. See, if every day I live a life of praise to God, then I won't fear death because here's what death is. Death actually ushers me into the presence of God where I can praise him perfectly. My praise for God, your praise for God is incomplete right now, right? It's limited. We're praising the Lord and then we're kind of thinking about something else and we're kind of drifting in and out. But, but if I say I want to commit myself to a life of praise and whatever I do, then death actually ushers me into that thing I've been training myself for, that thing that I want. So for the believer, death is not an interruption. It's a consummation. It's the completion. It's not losing. It's gaining. For more on this topic, would you turn to Philippians chapter 1 for a moment? Philippians chapter 1. We'll look at Paul has to say this. As you're turning there... Um, Please understand that, that Paul, this is one of what's uh, called Paul's prison epistles. So Paul wrote four letters while he was imprisoned in Rome to, to these churches. And so one of them is, is Philippians. So Philippians chapter 1, we'll look at verses 19 through 26. And, and this idea of death being gain, of being the consummation. Gentiles eat pork chops. There you go. That's how I always have to remember it. Okay. Uh, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. A little Bible humor for you. All right. Philippians 1, starting in verse 19. Keep in mind, Paul's imprisoned in Rome. He's on house arrest. And he's writing to the church in Philippi. And this is what he says to him. For I know that this, and he's talking about his imprisonment, kind of things that are going on related to his imprisonment. And um, some people are mocking him, <coughs> excuse me, because he's imprisoned and all this stuff. And he says, so it's bad things happening. So bad things are happening, but he says this, I know that this, these bad things will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the spirit of Jesus Christ. So he still, he believed there's going to be a good end. He says, according to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but here it is, but with all boldness as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. So that was so, so it hadn't changed for Paul. Paul didn't say, man, I'm in prison now. I can't go on mission trips like I used to. My life is over. No, Paul didn't make his life about going on mission trips. Paul made his life about serving the Lord wherever he was. And so now he can say, even in this situation, I can trust that God's going to be praised. God's going to be magnified. He's going to be glorified through me, whether by my life or death. And then here's, he gets really real with the Philippians. Verse 21, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul was looking forward to heaven. Paul was looking forward to going to be with the Lord. So I'm going to live for Christ now, but personally, if I die, it's gain. I'm excited to go. He says, but if I live on in the flesh, in other words, if he, he's not talking about like being carnal. Like we, we use that phrase in the flesh, meaning like doing the wrong thing. He just means like in his human body here on earth. He says, if I live on here, you know, in my human body here on earth, this will mean fruit for my labor. Yet what I shall choose, I cannot tell for I'm hard pressed between the two. That hard press is his idea of being squeezed. He says, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, notice, which is far better. He said, it would be far better to be with Christ. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh, to remain in this human body is more needful for you. To the Philippians, uh, and I'm being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy of faith and that your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ by my coming to you. So Paul was wrestling with this. He really wanted to depart and be with Christ. He really wanted to go on and be with the Lord. But he knew that God still had him there and he could bear fruit and help the Corinthians, I'm sorry, the Philippians grow in their faith if he remained. And so he says, I need to remain. So it's a beautiful picture of that tension. There should be a tension of us of like, yes, I want to go to heaven. I want to be with the Lord. But God still has something for me to do here. So I'm going to be all in today. I'm going to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness today until he calls me home. All right, back to the Psalms. Let's move into Psalm 112 now. Verse one, praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord, who delights greatly in his commandments. And so here we have the fear of the Lord again. 
We have the, the you know, that, that hey, let's, let's fear God. And notice also we have this addition here, who delights greatly in his commandments. And so delights greatly, um, I, I want to kind of bring out, there's a difference between willing obedience and begrudging obedience. Willing obedience and begrudging obedience. Someone has asked you to help them move, and you agreed to it, but you were begrudging. And if you say you haven't, you're a liar, all right? Because the reality is like, oh, I'll help you move, but I really don't want to. And, and so the, the, the picture here is that when it comes to obeying God, that we should train our hearts to obey him willingly, to trust in what he's doing, okay? So for a little more on this, would you turn to Psalm chapter one real quick? Don't worry, we're not starting over. Um, we, just, we just wanna look at Psalm one for just a moment because it really talks about delighting in his commandments. And I, I think for you and I, if you, we kind of get to that place sometimes, we're like, ah, oh, I don't know, and obeying God, and oh, it's just such a drag, and it doesn't seem like it's working. I would encourage you to come back to Psalm 1. I want to read through Psalm 1 real quick. Psalm 1, it says, uh, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. Okay, so he doesn't kind of follow the way of the world, right? But this is what he does, or she does. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. So, so this idea of like really what we talked about earlier, getting into God's commandments and learning his ways and reading his biography and all that. And then it says, here's, here's, here's what happens to that person. A person who's delighting in the law of the Lord, meditating day and night, this is what they become. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither and whatever he does shall prosper. That sounds pretty good to me. That God wants to plant us like a tree by a river of water and we're fruitful. We're blessing other people. That's awesome. But notice the people who don't obey God, who don't follow his commandments, the ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. In other words, the person who disobeys God's commands doesn't fear the Lord. Everything they've done in life, it just blows away. It's just gone. It's over. But verse six for the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. And so this is a wonderful exhortation that we can be these, these fruitful trees planted by the rivers of water if we'll be people who seek to obey his commandments. Now, as you're, as you're turning back now to Psalm 112, um, I, I do want to remind you of what John said in 1 John chapter 5, verse 3, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. God's commandments are not burdensome, okay? They're not. Here's what God's commandments are, and I use this illustration all the time in class, and, you know, I, I'm very high energy today because I was excited. Um, school starts tomorrow. I'm really excited about that, and I get to teach 10 hours a week of Bible classes. I can't wait. <laughs> it's it's going to be so exciting. And so um, I use this illustration all the time. God's commandments are like a, a, a fence around a backyard. Okay, so if you love your kids, right, and, and let's say you live in an area where you know there's danger, right, there's danger around, you say, well, I want to fence in an area so my kids can have freedom to play in that area so they don't get hurt, right? That's just kind of a common thing. And so what God has done with his commandments, it's they're actually a fence so that we can have an area of freedom. Because if God just said, hey, go out there and live life however you want to, we realize that this life that we live, there's a lot of dangers and pitfalls and all those things. So God is actually building a fence. So when you read God's commandments, please don't look at them and say, oh, God doesn't want me to have fun and God doesn't want me to do it. No, see, look at them and say, God built me a fence. God put a fence around my life because he wants me to enjoy a sphere of freedom because he has something for me, because he loves me, because he cares for me, not because he's trying to keep me from, from doing what I want or something that's, that's good, but he's trying to keep me out of trouble. He's trying to keep me out of those things that will destroy. All right, let's move on here in, in Psalm 12. We're going to move really quickly. Um, what we have here in the rest of Psalm 112 are really five blessings that normally come to the obedient believer. Five blessings that normally come to the obedient believer, but it's like Proverbs. If you've ever read Proverbs, what Proverbs are are general principles, Okay, it doesn't mean it's 100% um, because it says things like, well, if you live righteously, you'll have a long life. Jesus only lived to be 30-something. 
Okay, so, so they're, they're, not, they're not absolutes. They're in general, this is how the world works. If you line your life up with that, overall your life is gonna be better. Okay, that's what we're thinking about, or that's what it is here. So verses two and three, we have blessing number one. It says, his descendants will be mighty on earth. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches will be in his house and his righteousness endures forever. Okay, so blessing number one in general is physical and material prosperity. In other words, in general, if you honor God with your finances, you seek to be, live an obedient lifestyle, in general, you, you'll be blessed. Doesn't mean 100%, right? There's lots of people who serve the Lord and through circumstances outside of their control, it was bad. But this just in general is how it goes. And also, please understand that each of these five blessings will be ultimately true of us in heaven, okay? That, that we're gonna receive those. So if you don't receive these blessings here on life, please understand you'll receive them in heaven. All right, verse four, we have blessing number two. It says, unto the upright there arises light in the darkness. He is gracious and full of compassion and righteous. So blessing number two is you're gonna receive light in the darkness. You receive light in the darkness, and we've been given that to the word of God. Through the word of God, the, word, the world is dark, but God has given us his word. Psalm 119, 105 says this, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. So I believe every Christian has received this blessing. Every Christian has the blessing of the light of God's word and how to live life. Blessing number three we find in verse five. It says, a good man deals graciously and lends. He will guide his affairs with discretion. That Blessing number three is that a person is in, uh, Christians are enabled to be a blessing to others. God enables us to be a blessing to others. So you can read on your own, you know, First um, Corinthians chapter 12 talks about how all believers have been given gifts of the Spirit. And so we, what we're going to do is we're blessed to be a blessing. We're blessed to be a blessing. Uh, I think that's what Jesus has when, you know, Jesus is the vine, we're the branches. We're bearing fruit, and that fruit is actually a blessing to other people and to the Lord. So we're blessed to be a blessing, okay? All right, verses six through eight, we have blessing number four. It says, he has declared to his people the power of his works in giving them the heritage of the nations. Whoops, that's the wrong chapter. Sorry about that. Um, so uh, verse six of, of 112 says, surely he will never be shaken. The righteous will be everlasting remembrance. He will not be afraid of evil tidings, his heart is steadfast, trusting the Lord. His heart is established. He will not be afraid until he sees his desire upon his enemies. Okay, so blessing number four is stability and confidence. Stability and confidence. And we talked about this last week with the, uh, the armor of God in Ephesians chapter six. That as we're in, as we, we uh, embrace the armor of God, that we clothe ourselves with the armor of God, we'll have that stability and confidence. So I'll just remind you of Ephesians chapter six, verse 13. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. So if you find yourself in a place today and you're kind of like being tossed about by every wind of doctrine, I would encourage you to get into Ephesians 6, pray through the, the armor of God. God. Say, God, hey, would you give me these things? Will you show me what's missing? Will you show me what's lacking? Because I want stability. I want to be able to have that confidence. Verse nine, we have blessing number five. It says, he has dispersed abroad, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever, his horn will be exalted with honor. And, and so basically that, that as we're generous, God will give us strength and honor. As we're generous with other people, God will give us strength and honor. Now that generosity doesn't only have to be financial, that's how we think about it. There's really three categories, time, talent, and treasure. Time, talent, and treasure. So treasure is giving money to, to people, being generous, great. Uh, time is just giving of your time to people, spending time with people, listening to them, sharing with them. And then your talent is whatever those abilities and gifts you have that you share that to minister to people. And so, so if you do that, then, then strength and honor will be given to you by God. And I love what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 38. He says, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be put into your bosom. For the same measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Now, faith and prosperity gospel teachers, they like to always say this, you know, give to our ministry and God will give to you and all that kind of stuff. That's not what it's talking about. It's basically saying when you give to others in honor to God, God will make sure that you're repaid and more than you could ever imagine. So time spent being generous to others in the name of the Lord is never wasted. Okay, it, God is gonna make sure that you receive your reward. All right, verse 10 
It says, the wicked will see it and be grieved. He will gnash his teeth and melt away. The desire of the wicked shall perish. It's kind of an interesting end of, of this psalm. It was talking about all these blessings, and then we have this in verse 10. Really, the idea, it's two things here. Number one, the wicked hate to see God blessing God's people. The wicked hate it. The wicked hate it when God blesses his people. And so that's what he's warning about. And the second thing to remember here, where it says the desire of the wicked shall perish, is that the wicked will lose in the end. Okay, please, you know, um, you know relax a little bit, you know, move out your shoulders. The wicked are going to lose. No matter how bad things are, no matter how bad things get, the wicked are going to lose. All right, Psalm 113, short psalm here. Let's look at verses one through three. Says, praise the Lord, praise, O servants of the Lord, praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to its going down, the Lord's name is to be praised. Big picture here, verse one through three, it's always a good time to praise the Lord. Oh, it just, it is. It's always a good time to praise the Lord. Let me give you two reasons for praising the Lord. Number one, God is always good. Okay, God is always good. His character doesn't change. His natures don't change. His nature doesn't change. His attributes don't change. So he's always good. And then the second reason to praise the Lord, that's always a good time to praise the Lord, he's always working all things together for the good. So he's always good and he's always working all things together for the good. It's always a good time to praise the Lord. Okay, and even if your life is a mess right now, here's, here's what I encourage you to pray. And I prayed this prayer and say, Lord, I, don't, I can't praise you for what's happening right now, but I praise you for what you're doing in it. Okay, I don't understand this. Because I, I, the Lord and I have a real honest relationship. <laughs> and so I don't, I don't try to say things that aren't true. And I, say, I just say to the Lord, I don't like this thing, but I praise you for what you're doing. I praise you for whatever end you have. Verses four and five. Psalm 113 says, The Lord is high above all nations, his glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God, who dwells on high, who humbles himself to behold the things that are in the heavens and in the earth? Okay, so more reasons for praising God. We can praise God because his glory is above the world, that he's way above. We can praise God because he rules the world. But even though he's high above, even though he rules the world, what it says here is that he pays attention to what's going on. Right, He humbles himself to behold the things that are in heaven and on the earth. That he is actually concerned about whatever that thing is in your life that's bothering you, and other people may think it's small, but it's concerning to you. The Lord's concerned about that. And maybe he's gonna work on you through that. Maybe he's gonna change you through that. But, but please don't ever think that, that God is so transcendent he, he doesn't care about you. No, he's high above, but he cares about us. He looks in on what's going on. And verses six through nine now, it says, who humbles himself to behold the things that are in the heavens and the earth. He raises the poor out of the dust and lifts up the needy out of the ash heap that he may seat him with princes and with the princes of his people. He grants the barren woman a home like a joyful mother of children. Praise the Lord. Okay. So another reason praise the Lord. Again, he takes notice of us in our, our weak condition and he takes the lowly and he raises them up. Okay, so now maybe, maybe you feel like, well, that doesn't really seem true because the way that I'm living and kind of my life right now, it just seems like it's going downhill. It seems like I'm going lower and lower. We have to understand that though Paul already warned us about this. He said the outward man is perishing, but the inward man's being renewed day by day. Our bodies are going to break down. So from a, but, but what God is doing through our bodies breaking down is he's untethering us from this world. He, he, he's helping us to see, I can't stay here forever. The tent is breaking down. And, and so what I need to do is I need to shift my priority more and more to him and away from this world. And so from a spiritual standpoint, this raising up of the lowly and giving homes and all these things, that's ultimately going to be fulfilled in heaven. I don't have time to get there because I'm, I'm running low on time. I, I do want to give you some verses to look up on your own if you would like to. But it's Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Because especially if you're in a state today when you're feeling really low and you don't know what God's done for you or what he's doing in your situation, I would really encourage you, please, believer, to pray through Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 10. Because it's a, it's a beautiful passage where it basically says, this is who you are. 
this is who you were. You were lost in your sins and you were in a bad place, but God, because of great love in which we loved us, he sent his son for us and he brought you into salvation. You have all these things. You've been saved by grace through faith. And then Ephesians 2.10 says that he's prepared these good works that we should walk in. Believer, you're still alive today. And so there's still good works for you to walk out. Those good works that God has prepared for you before the foundation of the world, there's still usefulness in the Lord's eyes. No matter where you are, no matter what you're thinking about it, I would encourage you to pray through these verses. All right, we gotta bring this plane in for a landing, so let's have our conclusion. Three takeaways. Three takeaways from today, just reminders. Number one, please remember that praising the Lord is a choice. Praising, it is a commandment, but a commandment can either be obeyed or disobeyed. So praising the Lord is a choice, and so I would encourage you and I would encourage me to this, is train Train yourself to make that choice to praise the Lord. Fill your mind, fill your heart, fill your ears, fill your eyes with things that contribute to praising the Lord. Fill it with the word of God. Fill it with worship music. Fill it, fill it with, with all of those things that promote a heart being turned to the Lord because where your treasure is, treasure the Lord in your heart and your heart will be drawn to him. Second thing here I want you to remember is that if we want to walk in truth and wisdom, we must fear the Lord. We must fear the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And so as we, we trust him and say, well, he, well, he's the boss and he knows what he's doing and I'm not gonna take the pen from him and try to rewrite this thing. As we, as we do that, what's gonna happen, this is, this is amazing, God is gonna give you tremendous wisdom. God is gonna give you tremendous insight. It says throughout the scriptures, over and over again, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. If you and I will humble ourselves before the Lord and say, Lord, will you just teach me? I want to obey what you, what you have to say. God will teach you. God will reveal himself to you. And so it's a wonderful thing. So if we want to walk in truth and wisdom, we must fear the Lord. And thirdly and finally, I just want to remind all of us that we're blessed to be a blessing. God has blessed us so that we might be a blessing. And again, no matter how you might feel today, God has blessed you in your life. And so with wisdom and knowledge and understanding and opportunities and, and all of these things, so take those blessings and choose to be a blessing to other. And so, so and I would also encourage you, seek God's blessing. That, seek to be blessed by God. And, and you obviously, you, I think, let me, let me say this, you want to do it in such a way that he has the choice of what that blessing is. Please don't say, well, Steve said to go to the Lord and just tell him what I want. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying go to the Lord and say, Lord, I want you to bless me in however you see fit, whatever that looks like, so that I can be a blessing to other people, so I can bless others. And we're told in the scriptures that God will do it. Second Chronicles 16, 9, I don't have the reference up here, but it, it says that the Lord looks to and fro throughout the whole earth, seeking someone whose heart is loyal to him. If you and I will be loyal to him, he'll bless us that we might be a blessing to others. Let's pray.